The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome back for another week of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Once again, I am the namesake. Thank you for joining us this week. This is a podcast about high school football in the mid-Ohio Valley, covering both sides of the river. New shows drop every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Like us, rate us, review us if you haven't already done so, and subscribe, so that way the pod comes where you can easily find it. Also, if you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. we got a lot to go over from last week. The quarterfinal rundown will set you up for the semifinals this week in West Virginia. You'll hear from Ritchie County Head coach Rick Hott and Williamstown head coach Chris Beck leading up to those Class A semis. We've got a jam-packed show coming up here. Again, I like that we're able to have quality shows here as we go on. It's the playoffs on the field and it's the playoffs in the pod as well. You step it up in playoff time we're glad to have that for you. Williamstown upset East Hardy and Baker. The six-seeded Yellow Jackets go on the road and knock off the third-seeded Cougars 44-24. to The Yellow Jackets, they were ready for a pass-happy East Hardy attack. Four interceptions for Williamstown. East Hardy led first, but Williamstown responded with 17 straight points and never looked back. And that's been kind of a tenet for Williamstown, not just in the playoffs, but also in a lot of their games in this season. Maybe they'll spot somebody a touchdown, but it seems like when they score, they score in bunches, and they just have these periods where they go on runs. Max Melissa had four touchdown runs. Ricky Allen had two. Isaac Joy had a 24-yard field goal. So again, Williamstown is just cramming the ball down teams' throats. I was talking with Williamstown head coach Chris Beck about this off the air. You'll hear him on the air later on in the pod. But he said Melissa had three 351 rushing yards, and they found out later the state record was 358, so maybe you leave him out there for another carry or two, he gets the record, but you know what? At least they get a healthy Max Molassa in the next round of the postseason. That's the good there. I mentioned Isaac Joy's field goal because I think that's a big deal that Williamstown proved on grass they have somebody that can hit a short field goal if needed. You never know when a short field goal or just your PAT team is going to beat the difference in a ball game. So knowing that you could hit from within 25, probably 30 yards on a field goal. If you need to break a tie, if you need to add some points on before the end of the half, that's a big deal and a huge weapon to have. This Williamstown defense continues to be strong, though. They're going to be a tough team to stop on turf, and they'll play their next game on turf. We'll get to that in a second. But Williamstown has run the ball down their opponent's throats in the back half of the season, and especially in the postseason, and you wouldn't have imagined that losing Trevor Oates the way they did after the St. Mary's game, that this Williamstown run offense would be maybe even more potent and more productive since then. I'm not saying it has anything to do with the absence of Oates, but since then you're starting to see more runs from Ricky Allen, who's been a more active part of this attack, and Max Melissa as well. But that's exactly what's happened. This team has become just a dominant run the ball right at you and never let up. That's the attack that Williamstown has right now. So as I said earlier, they're going to be playing Doddridge County. They were a 14-0 winner against James Monroe last week. That game was scoreless going into the fourth quarter before Doddridge County got a score with about nine minutes to play. They added one on for good measure late. Our Metro News correspondent, Taryn Malone, covered that Doddridge County James Monroe game and he provided the following sound for us. It's Doddridge County head coach Bobby Burnside talking first about his team's win against James Monroe and later about the matchup with Williamstown in this weekend's semifinal round. We just kept wearing on them. Leaned heavily on our run game in the fourth quarter and the some passes here and there, but uh, you know, just leaned on our line, and our backs, and you know, finally we were able to get a move. They're a very good team, very good team. We need to have a great week of practice and, get, and be ready to go whatever night they choose um, to play this game. And you know, one of the two teams 
one of the two teams is going to go to the Super Six. So I think you're going to see both teams battle with everything that they have. And then, of course, we got another conference team on the other side. So LKC is doing pretty well this year. That's Doddridge County head coach Bobby Burnside after his team's 14-0 win against James Monroe last weekend. Special thanks to our Metro News correspondent Taryn Malone for providing that sound. And a bit of gamesmanship since the Doddridge County James Monroe game was played Saturday night. It was the only Saturday night game in the state. Williamstown opted to play Doddridge in a state semifinal at 1.30 p.m. on Friday. Now, this is only something that's done Thanksgiving week because the kids are off for Thanksgiving break and a lot of people have the holiday weekend off of work. And let's be honest, Friday Friday after Thanksgiving is essentially a holiday, but Williamstown opted to play this game at 1.30 Friday, and as I said, that's the only weekend of the postseason that offers the 1.30 Friday slot in time and date selection. Usually it's just 7.30 Friday and then 1.30 or 7.30 on Saturday. But a few reasons here that Williamstown was willing to do this, and Chris Beck talks about it later on as well, and you'll hear from him. The big one is that Doddridge, having played Saturday night, will have as short a turnaround as possible as you can possibly make that on them. That's over a day less of recovery time and rest time for this Doddridge County team coming into the playoff game, especially considering that Williamstown played Friday night. And though they limited things for themselves, a few hours less, you know, Friday night versus Friday afternoon, Doddridge County is going to have to turn around really fast. And I'm sure that had to feel really fast because once that was announced Sunday afternoon, really you have four days after Sunday to prep for the playoffs. That's not a lot of time to prep for a state semifinal game and a state semifinal opponent, even one that you've seen already this season. But another big reason that they were willing to pick that is that they have played very well historically in playoff situations in afternoon games. They have played well in that 130 slot in recent years on Saturdays. This is a program that has had past success there, so they're not afraid to go on the road and give it their best shot on a Friday afternoon. So really turning Doddridge around pretty quickly, that'll be a fun edge to see Williamstown have and a really, really good strategy play. So much of what we talk about with the playoffs is the on-field stuff, but when you're in a playoff run, there is so much off-the-field strategy. We talked about this a little bit last week with Williamstown going to East Hardy and, and deciding when to go, but that is a huge factor in the West Virginia playoffs, and that's why I absolutely love the way it's done in West Virginia. I've worked with broadcast partners in the past who have been very, very adamant about how all the games should be played on turf in the postseason, and they should all be a certain time of the day. I mean, in Ohio, you know based on what district and region you're in when you're going to play your playoff games. The slot is predetermined. The only thing you don't know past the first two rounds, and it used to be the first round, now it's two rounds you get to play at your home field. But past that, it's neutral sites. A site is determined that's fairly equidistant or as close as possible to both schools and you play on a neutral field after round two. But I love in West Virginia that that's so much of a strategy play because to me it adds so much more flavor and nuance to the playoffs as a whole. Now, what condition is this field in? If it's not in a good condition, can we protest it? Is that protest going to be upheld? And it used to be in the 90s that it didn't take much for a game to get moved. It really seemed like a lot of games in the 90s would get moved, and probably even the 80s as well would get moved because of issues with the field, but now it seems like the field has to really be atrocious to get overruled for a playoff game, but there's so much more that goes into whether or not you can host a playoff game. Press facilities, bathrooms, size of your grandstand, Americans with Disabilities Act requirements, all those things help make a place playable or not playable, but the field, of course, is the one that we all look at in the playing conditions themselves, but I just love that all of that is part of the strategy of West Virginia high school football. That's all baked into the postseason and how you manage your run. Where so much of that is taken out of the equation in other states, I feel like it adds flavor and adds context, and it's a fun wrinkle in the West Virginia playoffs that I didn't really appreciate when I was younger, but I fully appreciate now that I'm older. 
and the older I get, the more I enjoy it, and I hope it never, ever changes to where they make all games go on turf, or where they make everybody play in designated slots. Make that be part of the strategy. I'm fine with it. Both teams have to play in the given conditions, whatever those are, and you've got all week to figure that out and adapt to that, but I hope it never, ever changes where that bit of gamesmanship doesn't leave the game, because that's home field advantage. That's why you have a high seed. You have a high seed because you need to pick the place, but I also like that the lower seed gets a say in things, too, as far as the date and the time. Uh, Williamstown will give Doveridge some fits on 30 less hours rest. Ritchie County advances, but at what cost? They paid the price, and a 34-6 win over Mount View. The game was a lot closer than the scoreboard would indicate. This was a 6-6 game at the half, and this game was a 14-6 game until deep into the third quarter when Gus Morrison had the first of his three touchdowns, two runs, one at the end of the third, one at the start of the fourth, and then a pass from Ethan Haught, a touchdown catch from Ethan Haught on a pass from Ethan Haught. But the cost that Ritchie County paid, Brandon Riddle was hurt. He rolled an ankle in this one, according to Ritchie County head coach Rick Haught. Austin Bartlett was ejected for a helmet-to-helmet hit. Seth Hardy stepped up, and in Riddle's absence, he ran for a touchdown and caught a touchdown pass. Those were the first two scores of the game for the Rebels. They never trailed in this game, but it was Hardy that kept the offense alive and kept this team in the lead most of the day until Gus Morrison and the rest of the Rebels cranked things up a bit. Morrison did finish with 106 yards on the ground, 16 carries, two rushing scores, two catches, 49 receiving yards, and a touchdown. So Ritchie County moves on. I'll talk with head coach Rick Hot later in the program. You'll hear from him about what he has to say about their injury situation, about Austin Bartlett, and whether or not they'll have him. And this is another situation where field conditions are going to weigh in a little bit. The field was a little muddy from the looks of things on film, but nothing terribly atrocious, but not ideal. It's about what you'd expect from any grass field that's had seven or eight games played on it. And here we are in the end of November. Speaking on gamesmanship, like we talked about with the Williamstown matchup, I was able to confirm this week that Wheeling Central did protest the field in Ritchie County. The SSAC came out and took a look at the field on Monday. That protest was denied, so the game will stay at Chuck Schofield Stadium in Ellenboro. And I was also able to confirm, as per some reports on the internet, that if Ritchie County was going to lose Chuck Schofield Stadium as the home site, they wanted to move the game to Calhoun County. That would have been their choice. It was a field they played on this year. It was a grass field, and it would have disadvantaged Wheeling Central by making them go about 45 minutes to an hour further and further out Route 16 to play that game. It's a bit of a, well, you're going to one-up me, we'll all one-up you. There are some that say the SSAC requires you to play it at the next appropriate site, which in this case would have been Doddridge County, but I don't know that that's the rule anymore, or I don't know that that's always applied to the letter of the law. My friend Michael Minnick and I were talking this week, and he mentioned that a few years back, Kaiser opted to play their home games in Morgantown at University High School's Milan Pharmaceutical Stadium just to get on turf, and that was the nearest turf field that they were able to get. It didn't work out for them. That's not a team that went to the state championship, but they wanted to play on turf. So there are a number of reasons why teams choose the sites they choose, some for the field quality, some for where they want to be playing, as opposed to where they don't want to be playing. What is a familiar place to play for them? What is a comfortable place? What amenities for the players are at some venues? So there's just a number of things that come into the situation, come into that equation, and everybody has their own strategy. So like I said, you take the playoffs to neutral sites, you take the playoffs and put them all on turf fields automatically, then I think that takes a lot out of the equation. As it is, we have so many turf fields in the state now, but I think you're definitely taking a key part of gamesmanship and a key part of what makes the playoffs fun and a key part of that strategy out of the equation entirely if you mandate that they go to neutral sites. So Wheeling Central, a turf team, will come in and play on that field at 1.30 Saturday. Again, that's the slot that Richie has been in for the first two rounds of the playoffs, and they'll stay there for this one. If you're Richie County, you're welcoming Wheeling Central in on your terms. They're going to play in front of your fans. This is a rematch.
rematch of a quarterfinal from two years ago where Wheeling Central came in and got a 14-0 win against Ritchie County to end the Rebels season. But I like what Rick Hot said to me off the air a couple weeks ago. If we can't beat them on our field in front of our fans, do we even deserve to be in the state championship game anyway? And I'm, and I'm paraphrasing there, so apologies if that's not exactly how that was said, but he's right. You know, That's where you'd want them. Would you rather have them in Wheeling on turf, even though they no longer play their home games at Wheeling Island Stadium, or would you rather have them on an unfamiliar surface to them and in front of your fans? I think you'd be crazy if you'd say anything but Grassfield and Ellenboro. So, again, Ritchie County will host Wheeling Central at 1.30 Saturday, and the Rebels will try to access the Super 6 for the first time in program history. Around the state, a lot of chalk in Class AAA last week. Huntington defeated George Washington 29-13. GW pulled a mild upset in Round 1, but they fell short to Huntington. Martinsburg knocked off Spring Valley after Spring Valley got the best up in the regular season each of the last two years. Martinsburg won when it counted 35-6, and Bridgeport rolled over Jefferson. A lot of points in this one. 74-49. I believe Jefferson stopped the full-court press in the third quarter, and Bridgeport just went on from there. The only upset, Cabell Midland picked up a 46-21 win over University. Cabell Midland is a team that has just bruising offensive players. They run right down your throat, and University, though they had skilled players, they just found themselves in a tough matchup. Anybody that matches up with Cabell Midland is going to be a tough matchup. I'll get to my semifinal predictions later on and what I think of the semis later in the show, but I'll spoil this for you. Give me Martinsburg and give me Cabell Midland for the whole enchilada. The way those two teams are playing, that's what I think it's going to come down to, and those are two very different offensive teams stylistically, so that could be an interesting game on Wheeling Island if it happens next weekend. In Class AA, Independence denies Roan as Indy wins 22-8 over the Roan Raiders. Polka outlasts Frankfurt in a shootout, 56-49. Frankfurt, another one of those double-digit seeds trying to pull the upset. There are two that did. Bluefield downed North Marion 35-21, and Fairmont Senior was a 33-28 winner over Robert C. Bird, as head coach Nick Bardick of the Polar Bears says, Thunderdome. Two teams enter, one team leaves. Fairmont Senior lives to play another day. So your semifinal schedule looks like this. In Class AAA, Friday games between Huntington and Cabell Midland and Martinsburg against Bridgeport. The real difficulty for Bridgeport, and they're a good offensive team as well. Uh, They've got to go across the mountains to play Martinsburg at their place. In AA, you've got a pair of double-digit seeds that are upset-minded. Number 2 Independence at home against number 14 Bluefield. That's a Friday game, as is number 5 Polka against number 16 Fairmont Senior. In Class A, the afternoon game. As we said, number two, Dobridge County at home against number six, Williamstown in a regular season rematch. The first one won by Williamstown in Williamstown. This will be played on turf in Dobridge County. And number four, Ritchie County on Saturday afternoon will host number eight, Wheeling Central. We said Central will be the opponent earlier. Neglected to mention that they defeated Gilmer County 55-0 after the 16-seed Gilmer County upset Cameron in week one. So those are the last 12 teams remaining in all three classes of uh, West Virginia high school football. Just six games remaining. Hard to believe we whittled our way down to this, but it happens quickly. Semifinal weekend coming up for you in the Mountain State. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Let's go between the hash marks and preview the Class A semifinals. Ritchie County and Williamstown in separate semifinals. First things first, the Williamstown Yellow Jackets are visiting Doddridge County. Had a chance earlier this week to talk to Williamstown head coach Chris Beck about their win over East Hardy last week and about what he expects to see out of the Bulldogs this week. It wasn't just that you won against East Hardy. I think in a lot of ways it was how you won. The way you managed to stop a pass. Not a lot of Class A teams that can throw the ball well. There's not a lot of Class A teams that can stop a pass offense. Did you send a message around the state? Maybe serve some notice with this win? I don't know if it sends a message. We just went out there and played our brand of 
football, and we were able to play pretty well and come out of there with a win, a close game till probably mid the third quarter that started to get away from those guys a little bit. But as far as the pass defense, I know I've been asked about it a couple times, well, how do you prepare for that if you don't see it all year? Whereas the flip side of that is they didn't know exactly what we were going to be in. Because if you play a team, another air raid team before or something, maybe they know some of the things you're going to do. I think it was really tough for them to know what we were going to do. And Coach Adams and the staff put together a great game playing kids executed at a high level. We had a couple different wrinkles in there defensively. So I was really proud of what we did on the back end. Message, I don't know if there's a message in that. I mean, I like to think that after 22 years, folks kind of would expect us to be the top three or four teams in Class A. And if someone, I guess, thought we were slipping around here, then maybe it is to them. That as far as we're concerned, we're not going anywhere. We're still going to be one of the top Class A teams uh, in the state year after year. And hopefully this year we've been able to do that again. You've run the ball an awful lot, not just in this win, but in the last few weeks. Is that more a byproduct of the fact that you haven't needed to throw the ball? Or is that kind of this team's offensive identity now with Trevor out? This is just going to be a team that runs the ball right down people's throats. I think it's a game-to-game deal, one. Two, we've been so effective the last few weeks with it. Against Magnolia, I think we threw 13 times with a lot of efficiency. Against Greenbrier West, uh, the winds in pregame, I mean, unless you were here, I mean, the winds were pretty bad. I mean, pregame, that's one of the first things I said. So at East Hardy, I mean, I've always thought this, when you go play a team like that, they got really good athletes on the back end. They're used to playing against teams that pass a lot. They may not be used to teams that kind of want to come at them. And that's the thing, like, we had to get ready for their offense and how much they throw. We wanted to make them get ready for us and how much we're going to run. And we're able to do that. And when it's working, it's easier. And anytime you have seven going, it helps. Of course, he's been pretty good the last couple weeks. And Ricky's been good for a lot of weeks. So um, we like to think that we hang our hat on running the ball. But to your point, the last two weeks been a lot of running the ball, even for us. And hopefully that continues this Friday. If not, you know, if we need to throw, we'll throw. Your kids went over and handled this like a business trip in every respect. What did that show you or what did that affirm for you even about the maturity of this team? This team showed a lot of resiliency and maturity throughout. I think they understand the expectation and the standard here. We talked right after the Greenbrier West game. I mean, we're not going to Baker to go sightseeing and go bowling and have pizza and all that stuff. We're going to win a football game and we're going to do the best thing we can do to win a football game. And I think our kids responded well to the trip. I thought our support from our uh, parents and boosters was amazing and our guys were really ready to play and prepared to play. Looking at a state semifinal here with Doddridge County, what are your thoughts on getting him for the second time this year and getting him on turf? The turf part that really doesn't bother me or I don't think impact it. I like to think three and seven are pretty good on turf. We've played four of our five road games were on turf this year. Uh, we played well at Weir. We played pretty well at Warren. We played well at Tyler on turf. So the turf part that bothered me the the bigger concerns playing a really good team twice. It's tough to be a really good team twice. And they're really good. They're really physical. They're the LKC champions. They're the number two team in the state, SSAC rankings. So as far as we're concerned, we still got a lot to prove going up there. Uh, last time we were able to play in the playoff two years ago, this is where it ended for us. The semifinals at Dodgers on a Friday night. So we're hoping to change that trajectory and get ready. And hopefully we're able to control the line of scrimmage and make some good things happen and get ourselves a chance. How have you gotten better from the last time you played them to now? 
I think up front we've gotten tremendously better on both sides of the ball. I think Aiden Corbett's playing at a very high level on both sides of the ball right now. I'm not sure that was the case four or five weeks ago. I know Coach Smith, when he was watching the Magnolia game, we talked after, and he just talked about from the Waterford game till now, like how much better our kids have got. And that's the goal, right? We want to see progress each week. We'll be able to see that. But for us, the last time this time, one, we have a healthy seven, a rejuvenized seven, you know, looking back, maybe a couple weeks off resting those legs isn't necessarily a bad deal. Yeah. Uh, and he's ready to go. I think up front, our kids get a little bit better every week, a little bit more sound and our scheme and a little bit more physical. And we're going to need every single bit of that because these guys up front are really good on both sides. Are they in any ways better and different than what you saw when you played them last? I think they're better, for sure. I think they're more balanced. I thought they were pretty balanced last time we played. In fact, they threw for a lot more than they ran. Last time we played, I think they threw 27 times, which they might go season throw at that. I think they're going to come in very hungry. I think with Max being out, I don't want to say they overlooked us. But with the recent success, Trevor's out, Max out, maybe they look biased. I don't think that's going to be, I think we're going to have their full attention Friday. And I think they're going to be very well prepared. They're much better offensively. Defensively, they played at an extremely high level against James Monroe. I mean, I watched that game. James Monroe couldn't move the ball. I mean, their best chance for a score was special teams or a pick. They got a pick. And I was sitting there thinking, man, that guy better return to the house because they ain't scoring any other way. And they didn't. I mean, they just, they just couldn't move the ball. Coach Burnside and, and his staff do a tremendous job defensively. They look, in a lot of ways, the way Coach Burnside's team looks uh, in regards to they run the ball very well. They're probably a little bit more balanced than they've been in the past, able to get outside a little bit more, and very, very, very good on defense. What's the biggest thing you got to take away from them? What's this game going to come down to? I think it's going to come down up front. At the end of the day, that's what's going to come down. You hear Coach Burnside talk about his kids up front. He likes them, loves what they do. We're pretty excited about the guys we have up front. So I think at the end of the day, whoever controls the line of scrimmage is going to have a, a pretty good shot. you got two teams that want to run the ball if they can, that want to play great defense. The recipe for both of those is being really good up front. If you're really good on the defensive line, it helps it impact other teams' run game. If you're really good on the offensive line, of course, you get to move the ball on the ground. So at the end of the day, I mean, it's going to come down to those five guys up front. I mean, they're probably going to jump in a five against us, and it's going to be our five versus their five, and whoever executes at a higher level for uh, 48 minutes will come away with win. Maybe this is in part the pandemic, but it does not seem to me like this is only your second season in this seat. Does it seem to you like that, and what's kind of helped you prepare to get this team deeper than you've ever been as the head coach? I think 12 years just being on staff and seeing it done has helped. Uh, the pandemic definitely makes it wear on you a little bit in regards to, I think it's aged a lot of people a little bit quicker. And we're just excited. Year one, we didn't get a chance to take the field to playoffs. So I'm really excited for these kids. Greenbrier West, none of the starters had ever started a playoff game before. So that was pretty big deal pretty cool deal for the first time in 20 years that's happened at Williamstown yeah we got so many young guys playing and then the, you know the year before not be able to play a playoff game but this certainly lend itself to it's their first start then if you look at our even our staff I mean over half our staff that was the first playoff game they're able to coach in so I'm happy that all those guys players and staff were able to reap the rewards of all the hard work that we've done here for a long time for me I don't know I mean Coach Smith all the credit goes to him the foundation he set 
how he's got this program established. But it still comes down to these kids, and they just work so dang hard in our little community. If you look at we're cross-country boys champs, girls volleyball champs, our cheerleaders are going to state. Just a tremendous community here. That um, I think they, we just won the boys and girls statewide cup last year. You're a couple weeks away from defending a boys basketball title, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, if you look around, it's just an amazing community. And it starts with these kids. These kids understand the culture and the work that it takes to be successful. And they're willing to do that. Not all kids are. Not all kids are willing to come in and lift you around. Not all kids are willing to come in at 6 a.m., lift, and go to school. And not all kids are willing to sacrifice four days a week in their summer to come here and get better. But our kids have been doing it for 22 years. And um, it's kind of the expectation. And we're fortunate to have a bunch of parents and families that support us in that. 1.30 Friday. Is that a decision that's made more with the idea that it may impact them more than you? And how will you try to mitigate the impact on your own team? It just puts us in the best position to win. I mean, that's the end of the day uh, what we're trying to do. I know about impact whoever. We traditionally play well in afternoon games. Our kids are off school that day, so instead of being in school till 3.30 and playing at 7.30 where they're occupied most of the day and a week they're out of school, they're not. Then, you know, I mean, being the truth, I mean, Dodgers did get off the field at 9.30, 10 p.m. Saturday night. If you look at a typical week, you have about 166 hours of recovery. They will have 30 less hours, right? about 136 to get recovered. So that's just the, the thinking from our end. It just puts us in the best position to win. Our kids t- typically play well in the afternoon, and uh, I don't have to worry about them all day. Very good. Thanks, Coach, and good luck. Thanks. Good Jacks. That's Williamstown head coach Chris Beck. Again, Williamstown takes on Doddridge County 1.30 p.m. Friday at Doddridge County High School. On the other side of the bracket, and 24 hours after the first one, Ritchie County takes on Wheeling Central in the other semifinal in Class A. This is a rematch of a 2019 quarterfinal game in Ellenboro, won by Wheeling Central. Earlier this week, I had a chance to visit with Ritchie County head coach Rick Hott, and he talked about this year's team, their win against Mountview last week, how much motivation they'll derive from that matchup with Wheeling Central two weeks ago, how healthy his team is, and what it's going to take for the Rebels to get past the Maroon Knights this weekend. Coach, came away with a big win. Do you feel like it was important? important for this team to get tested the way you were tested for the better part of three quarters? Yeah, I think it's always good to where your kids, you know, have a kind of a battle and they got to kind of step up. First quarter kind of was that way. I was really proud of our defense. You know, we turned the ball over. They returned to the five-yard line. That's first and goal from the five and stuffing three times. And from my vantage point, looked out there on the field, I couldn't see much room between the ball and the goal line. And it was fourth down. And so I thought, oh, shoot, heck of an effort if we can pull them out. And then they snapped one over their head and helped us out a little bit. But, you know, they had three shots at it from the five, and we held them out. And, and then our defense stepped up, I think, in the first quarter a couple other times pretty big that they got down close, and, and, and we got stops. And so I think that kind of got us going. I got a sense that we had to kind of fill our way offensively. And then uh, took kind of a quarter to get going from that aspect of it. But like I say, the defense kept us right there in the game, and we finally got the score. And the second quarter was, I thought, a defensive battle back and forth and this and that. And they get their score. The very last play of the half, they throw one, and kid makes a nice catch. We had two guys on him. Kid made a nice catch at the half. You have an injury with Brandon Riddle, and that's something probably threw you a little bit off sequence, too. Guys stepping into unusual spots. It takes time to get used to that kind of stuff. But you had people step up with Seth Hardy doing that. First of all, I want your thoughts on what Seth was able to bring to this team. And second, what's Brandon's status? Brandon went out to play eight. So he went out really early in the game. Same ankle that he hurt at the Green Bar West game a year ago. Uh, fortunately, when he got x-rays, it's not broken, but it's a severe sprain. And so severe sprains aren't good either. He's went and got treatment. Apparently he's walking on it. 
We'll see. He comes in today, and we'll get a look at him, too. But Game-time decision. At best, game-time decision. But what makes that easier, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is that Seth was ready to go. I made a comment to somebody else that I felt like on our field Saturday, he might have been the better choice anyhow because of his running style. I mean, he kind of short, choppy steps. He's kind of a one-cut guy and go and kind of plugged, filled right in there. And we were left scurrying for a while because replacing somebody that plays both ways, you just don't have a person that's game ready. I think that may be part of the reason it's 6-6 six, six at halftime is because we had to do some juggling and get some things figured out. And so that's the status of, uh, of Brandon. And like I say, Seth come in, I don't know, we gave him 20 carries or more. He was running the ball really well, following blocks really well. Things were opening up, and he seemed to just get stronger as the game went. What opened up for Gus in the back half of the game that wasn't there maybe in the first half? I thought we started doing a better job in the second half of getting off the ball up front and getting a hat on a hat. I thought we kind of stood around a little bit and did too much reading, not enough playing, you know what I'm saying? I think that's what helped him is that we just started doing a better job blocking and then he kind of got rolling. Looking at your opponent this week, Wheeling Central, you've got history with him and history with him at your place. How much of two years ago is motivation for this team? Because you got a lot of principals that are still back from that game two years ago, but you've got a lot of newcomers. Yeah, juniors and seniors would have played in that game. I know Ethan started that game. And just look back at that film and see where he's at now. It's just these kids are kind of different kids. I mean, there's some of them played. Gus, Gus played back then, and a few other kids played back then. That game there, I, maybe we were too, but uh, Wheeling Central, I thought was had a little bit better size, a little bit more physical, more of a could be a power team coming running right at it. I think we got the kick off that year and we had to punt it and they got the ball and extended long drive and barely, like on fourth down, barely got in the end zone. Well, that ended up being all the scoring until late and then it was getting to the point we had to start taking some chances and we had to turn the ball over and they got a score late to make it 13 to nothing. But that was a really, really good willing central team and we, you know, we went toe to toe with them. Kind of the same type of playing conditions that we probably we'll see Saturday the field's a little wet and things like that it deteriorated quite a bit I thought as the game went and so whoever had the ball early probably had the advantage but the fact that we have played them takes some of that maybe mystique away if you look at that they don't play a lot of West Virginia schools they can't get a lot of West Virginia schools to play them and so on film for me one of the biggest things that I think helped us watching film is the fact that there was a common opponent we'd play Gilmer you know, it's nice to see the team play someone that we've played because it's it's easier. It is for me, anyhow. It's easier to kind of see what maybe they've got and what they can do and things like that. And so that was a benefit for us. But, you know, they're still the perennial team to beat in single way. Everybody, you know, when the uh, rankings come out, when the playoffs come out, everybody wants to see where they're ranked and what side of the bracket they're going to be in. Yeah, they are definitely a school and a program that is kind of a measuring stick for a lot of people and a lot of programs. Is it tough to get that out of your team's head, or do you want that kind of messaging in your team's head? In a lot of ways, this is a game that could define where this program is at. Yeah, I think it is. We kind of put a bracket up there on, the, on our board there last week with the remaining eight teams, and I noticed someone had filled in the final four. So, you know, there's only four programs left, So, and I think each one of them are really solid long-term football programs programs. And, and that's where we're at. That's what's left. It's an opportunity. I, I look at it as an opportunity for us to see you know, if we can take that next step and look at how things was going to unfold out when the playoffs started. Uh, I thought probably I would rather have Willing Central here in the semis than be on the other side and meet them at Willing Park next weekend, which is to me is that's a home game for them. There's a lot of positives to take away with that. And then you know, we'll, look at, we'll talk to our kids some this week, kind of see what they're thinking and where things are at. Whether right or wrong, I don't know. 
know, to me, they're the next opponent. They're a quality opponent. They're going to be very good. They're very well coached. And, and we kind of will have to step our game up. We'll have to play better than we did last Saturday just because they're not going to make mistakes. Traditionally, Wheeling Central tends to have a diversified offense, a lot of threats that can run the ball, a lot of threats that can catch the ball, and a pretty good quarterback. Does this team resemble teams of the past? Or is that kind of easier, hard to make that comparison? They still throw the ball, but they had an injury at some point in the season where they had to kind of change quarterbacks, and I think the, the kid who was injured was much more of a thrower than a runner. And so now I think they rely heavily on their run offense, and it's very effective, and they're very good up front. And so from watching them on film, they throw the ball some, but they don't have to. They're that effective at running the ball. But you know how it is. You never know at what point you need to throw the ball. And I thought in both of our playoff games, I mean, we only threw the ball 13 times last Saturday. Completed six of them. But we threw enough to where I felt like Mount View couldn't load the box. And so I think, and then we end up rushing for 300 and some yards. And so I think that's where Willing Central is. They throw well enough that you just can't really load up on the box. Are you without Austin Bartlett for this game? And if so, who fills in? We've appealed that. We have not heard from the SSAC to see how that would go. We think we have a good argument that the official didn't see what he thought he saw. It's in the hands of the SSAC, and we'll see see how they rule. But I think we have to prepare until we know for sure one way or the other. We want to prepare like he is not going to be there. We talked Sunday on juggling some people around on defense and who needs to play where and and the same thing on offensively. So we'll do some different things defensively than what we did in the game. We have a little few more options there, I believe, than what we do on offense. Do they have to make that ruling or is that something they can sit on and, and let it stand that way? Essentially a pocket veto. Well, I hope not. I guess I never thought of it from that angle. But if you are questioning a one-game suspension, I would think we'd have to have a ruling before our next game. One would hope. Yes, yes. Given that it's an elimination game. Right. Yeah, it's such an important game. I, I would think that they want to make sure that things were done properly, correctly. When they were here yesterday talking about the field, a couple officials from the SSAC was there and said that they had done their part and that... That decision had been there. What they were supposed to do had been moved up the chain, and we're just waiting for the results of that. What do you have to do to get this win on Saturday? We're going to have to figure out how to stop their run game. I'm pretty impressed with their special teams. Most of the time, teams have been starting from their 10-yard line. When they kick off, they have such a good kicker and a coverage team. And so they kick off, they get them on the 10, they get a three and out. Next thing you know, they're on your own 40 and short field. And so they're really good in their special teams. Uh, They do a good job punt return, too. A guy makes catches and, and returns the ball. They are rarely penalized. So offensively, you know, they, they play error-free football. I, I don't see turnovers. Uh, on defense, I, I'm impressed with their athleticism. I mean, they've got good-sized defensive linemen, but I think the strength is they all move pretty well. And they're really quick. I don't know if they got great size in the back of the defense, but they're very quick to the ball. And so they're going to send people, and they're going to pressure us and try to get to us early. And, and like I say, we have to step up. We, we've got to get a hat on a hat. We've got to try to drive people off the ball. And we have to be error-free football. We have to, you know, be very clean with the football also. Well, Coach, enjoy the ride. Thank you for your time, and good luck this weekend. Uh, thanks a lot. That's Richie County Head Coach Rick Hodigan. The Rebels host Wheeling Central at 1.30 Saturday. In one Class A semifinal, the other pits Williamstown and Doddridge County at 1.30 p.m. Saturday, Friday afternoon. 
Taking a quick look at the semifinals from other classes. In class AAA, Cabell Midland takes on Huntington and Bridgeport takes on Martinsburg. Stylistically, you've got a lot of differences between Cabell Midland and Huntington, but the way Cabell Midland's playing right now, I like the Knights to conquer in this one. And I also like Martinsburg over Bridgeport. I just think Martinsburg's too powerful. And then in class AA, I've been going with the double-digit seeds for the first two rounds. I'm going to stick with them in the semifinals. Give me Bluefield over Independence and Fairmont Senior over Polka. And if that were the case, you'd have a Super 6 without any of the number one seeds involved. You'd have Cabell Midland taking on Martinsburg, and you'd have Bluefield and Fairmont Senior, as well as either Williamstown, Doddridge, Wheeling, or Ritchie. I think you had a tremendous final two weeks of the high school football season cooked up in West Virginia, and I'm eager to see how it all plays out. Our games of the week on Seven Rangers Radio. Ritchie County takes on Wheeling Central on Light Rock 93R. Coverage begins at noon with countdown to kickoff, and the kickoff between Ritchie County and Wheeling Central at 1.30. Games of the week, I've picked one in each class that are my favorites, but I think they're all good at this point of the season. How about Williamstown and Doddridge County? Give me this one just because it's a rematch and because there's so many different factors at play. Williamstown is not on their home field, but they do have Max Melissa back, unlike last time when these two teams played. Doddridge County has a short week, but they have it on their field. However, they will have to defend Max Melissa, as I said. And AAA, I think the differences in style makes the Cabell Midland-Huntington game pop out, and it's a regional rivalry. I kind of like that as well. And then Fairmont Senior and Polka. Can the Polar Bears, as a 16 seed, continue their Cinderella trek through the Class AA playoffs? I want to thank you for joining us this week. Tara Malone, our Metro News correspondent, was going to join us in preview the semifinals, but he had some things to come up, so we'll look forward to linking up with him again next week. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. New episodes drop every Wednesday. I'm your host, Eric Little. Thank you again for joining us this week. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you next week with another episode, and until then, enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening. Thank you.